0: It's time for the 7th... It's time for the 7th Avenue... Why am I keep saying it that way? It's time for the 7th... I do you say it? 7th Avenue Project. There you go. As Bonnie says, the time is nigh for the 7th Avenue Project. I'm your host, Robert Polly, welcoming you to the program. Uh, speaking of which, I was thinking about the show the other day and uh, realized that it has been a long time. Too long since we had a comedian on. Well... How nice to have a problem for once that I can actually solve. Rod Funches, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, and uh, by way of introducing you uh, to the radio audience here, here's, here's what I came up with. Uh, Ron Funches is a very funny stand-up comedian with a unique delivery and lovable demeanor. You just want to hug and squeeze him like a big stuffed bear. His easygoing, inventive style sounds the way fresh chocolate chip cookies taste. What, what do you think of that?
1: to my website.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, busted.
1: (laughs) I think you nailed
0: it. I did steal that from your website. Uh, Actually, the way um, uh, this interview came about, Ron, is that um, I was asking my friend Zach from Portland, who's a big comedy fan, Mm -hmm. as am I, uh, if he knew of any, like, up-and-coming comedians who were on the way towards something but maybe weren't so famous that they would just, like, you know... They've been interviewed all the time and would just phone it in, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, you are phoning it in. That's...
1: I am on the phone.
0: <laughs> but uh, you were on the Portland scene, the comedy scene in Portland, for how many years?
1: Oh, for about uh, six years.
0: Six years. And then you abandoned <laughs> that city that had, you know, treated you so well. Yes. And moved to L.A. when?
1: I moved to L.A. last July.
0: Last July. How's it going?
1: I'm pretty well. I'm having a lot of fun here. It's a lot of great comedians. I'm doing pretty well. I'm am just I like it here a lot. So I don't feel
0: bad about it. Has it lived up to your dreams?
1: Uh yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I got a regular role on an upcoming NBC show, so and I write for a Comedy Central show. So I think it's 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 pretty much exceeded what I expected in my first year.
0: Wow. Um I mean, Portland's a great town, but obviously the TV opportunities up there are probably pretty limited.
1: Yeah, there are a couple. <laughs> Portlandia uh, is really good about picking comedians from Portland and just do small parts. And uh, Grimm shoots there. But that's, that's about it. If you want anything else, you gotta, you got to leave.
0: You've got to leave. That's sad. Um, but I was going to ask you, have, have you been on Portlandia?
1: Yeah, I was in the first season. Uh, the season finale I as a baseball player it was actually the very uh, first time I did any type of television um, and it was a lot of fun and I actually still talk to uh, Fred Armisen every now and then and he I read to him at a show and he just came up to me and he was like look at you you're not a local comedian anymore now you're <laughs> a national
0: comedian and it
1: just kind of warmed my heart
0: he seems like a nice guy
1: he's a very nice
0: guy very nice guy um so tell me about the uh, television show that you are writing for. What's that, the Comedy Central show?
1: That is uh, The Kroll Show with Nick Kroll. He plays Ruxon on The League. And uh, he has his own sketch show. It's really funny. It's going to be coming out uh, the second season. I wrote for the second season. and It starts uh, January 14th. has a lot of really funny comedians in it, like Maria Bamford and... Uh, <coughs> Oh, man, my mind went blank. But a lot of Jenny Slate, who I love. Oh, I do, too. <laughs> You're a big Jenny Slate
0: fan. In fact, all three of the people you just named, Maria Bamford was on this show maybe five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and Nick Kroll is on my list. The guy's brilliant as a character comedian. Yeah,
1: yeah and I mean, and this is in his... Will House is a sketch show just with a bunch of his characters, and uh, then he just reaches out to the community, and there's a bunch of great comedians who do small sketch parts, uh, like Brody Stevens has a really funny part, and I'm, I'm in a few sketches. It's, I think it's going to
0: be really, really good. Oh, that's, that's awesome, man. I mean, the writing on that show is really sharp, um, and uh, to get a gig like that is fantastic. And you said you're also on an upcoming NBC sitcom?
1: Yes. The uh, sitcom's so, so called Undateable. It's <laughs> from the uh, creator of Scrub, Bill Lawrence, and it stars uh, Chris D'Elia. Whitney and um, he had a Comedy Central special that I think came out on Friday So uh, he's, uh, he's very funny it's a, I think it's going to be a very funny show What's your role? I play a gentleman named Shelley, who is very uh, kind of a weird guy kind of, uh, shy guy but overall he's a very, very intelligent nice guy but he's, he can't get women because he has no confidence when it comes to women uh, and, and the fact that he's a complete weirdo so I really relate to that, and it was a, it's a fun plan. It's fun.
0: It's basically me. So, so shy, awkward with women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said, what other words did you use to describe him?
1: Uh, probably airhead weirdo.
0: And and you say that's you?
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen you, uh, you know, live. I haven't met you in person. <laughs> I've looked at your clips. And airhead is not a word I would have come up with. <laughs> what would you say? I would say intelligent, nerdy. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about shyness, because I, even though you're up in front of an audience, sometimes I notice uh, in the clips that you're looking down mm-hmm. um, rather than out. Yes. Which I think you've worked into your act pretty well. Yes. That whole shy thing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I've always just been that way, and I try to be better about... Uh, I- and like you said, using it. So sometimes I'll look out to just emphasize certain punchlines um, and then look down to kind of draw it in a little bit more. And I kind of, I, I was a big fan, I still am a big fan of Mitch Hedberg. And I always heard about his stage fright and he wore the glasses that he wore so that he couldn't, he didn't have to look at people and they couldn't tell he was looking at the ground. And uh, that made me feel that I could <laughs> Stand up without actually having to be look at people in the eyes because I didn't want to do
0: that. <laughs> um, let's talk about how you even got there. You know, like to the point where you're standing up in front of audiences and increasingly large audiences. Um, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, how, how does a shy guy get to that point?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I just I always had a love for comedy. Uh, you know, since I was a small child, I just love stand up. I love. The comms. I'm a big fan of Lucille Ball. I, I love Lucy. It's my, my favorite thing. I've been watching that since I was like six years old. Um, so I just always loved comedy and just never thought it was something that you could do. I thought it was something like a like a genie told you that you could do. Like you, you just made a wish for it and it happened. Uh, but I just kept doing other things. I wasn't really good at regular jobs. I would work a job for about a year and, and lose it. I worked in at a bank, I work at a Chuck E. Cheese. I worked at as a uh, Lady Liberty sign holder for a tax place. I just bounced around a lot, and then eventually, um, I had my son, and I decided that I needed to get my life together. And I said I either needed to go to college and do that, or go do stand up, which was my passion. And so I chose stand-up. That seemed like more something that I would be able to
0: do. But choosing it and doing it are two different things. That's true. So how did you end up doing it and getting gigs?
1: I, I just started going. I researched my Portland for the open mics and who was in charge of mics. And it was all people whose names you would never hear ever know. Like the, to me at that time, the most important guy in my life was a guy named the Mustard Man. Because he get me up. <laughs> <laughs> certain mics, and it uh, just started going to mics, and people and started just going up. That's the thing. I mean, I think, like, seeing stand-up on television makes it daunting. But if you go to an open mic, all of a sudden it seems very doable because there's a bunch of people who are not good at it.
0: <laughs> so find the worst open mic sort of event possible to build your confidence.
1: Yeah, and say, hey, I, could, I can go up there and be bad at it, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh, your first open mic experience, did people like you?
1: Uh, they actually did. I got a few laughs. And they were horrible jokes about man boobs and other <laughs> things. Uh, your own? Yeah, of course. <laughs> right what <with> you know. <laughs>
0: so you were okay with sort of comedy that was making fun of of you, personal stuff.
1: Yeah, well, always, uh, the comedians that I loved always uh, talked about that were really going on in their
0: life. So, embarrassing I, things.
1: Yeah, I mean you know, just not even necessarily embarrassing, just, just real. Just sometimes things that people might not want to talk about in front of people.
0: Yeah. Well what about you? I mean, I think there are performers out there who maybe have a little a little bit of exhibitionist tendency who who really love it, you know, and the more the more soul bearing and humiliating the better. But I think for most of us that, that is kind of a, a barrier and we try not to cross.
1: Yeah. I mean, I personally I try to have a middle ground cause I think sometimes uh, it gives you see some stand up as too much therapy. <laughs> uh, but I try to think, cause I, at the end of it, I go, like, no one really cares about me, but maybe they've gone through something similar. And if I can make this a relatable experience, then, you know, then that's something we can all share in. Like, instead of just being like, you won't believe what happened to me. Because, you know, know,
0: someone's always got it worse than you. So that, you know, those first experiences, um, you look back on and say, you weren't very good at that point, but did you get that, you know, that kind of feedback, that kind of gratification that kept you going?
1: Yeah, well, I just got a rush. I got a rush like I never had before. I remember I parked my car pretty much right in front of the club, and uh, I just couldn't find it. I just kept walking around the block in circles, just, just in this high... Just going, like, I don't care if I ever find my car
0: again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Because people laughed.
1: Yeah, people laughed. And I felt that this thing that I thought I wanted to do that I didn't know. That if I, I didn't know if I was really meant to do it and at that point. I felt
0: that I was. So these days, um, does does people's laughter still give you that rush?
1: Yeah, always. <laughs> always. Always. It, the rush of getting the laughter, and then sometimes the, the scariness of trying new jokes. I mean, that's, that's why you write new jokes, because you're like, am I still funny? Like, can I keep this going? So there's always a rush. I always get nervous. I mean, I just, if anything, I just like doing it, and I always want to have fun and keep getting better. So there's always just the pressure of that, if anything.
0: What do you think that is, that chemistry or that uh, neurobiology that makes laughter so powerful? I mean, for the person who evokes the laughter.
1: Well, I think overall, I mean, that joy is one of the most powerful things that we have in this universe. Like, bringing the power to bring someone happiness. I mean, that's what, you know, on our money, is about, the, you know, life, liberty, is the pursuit of happiness. You know, that's a goal that we all have, and to be able to, for even brief moments, to bring someone true laughter and true joy when they're, you know, because laughter like that is really involuntary. People are wanting to. Oftentimes they don't want to. And you have to make them. And there's a certain power and a certain, I think, just goodness that comes from making other people happy.
0: You know, you just connected comedy to the Declaration of Independence, (laughs) Uh, which I think is uh, is worth exploring, because I've always thought America had you know, pretty powerful tradition of humor. I mean, yeah. different from any other country. And absolutely.
1: Well, stand-up itself is a, you know, primarily American thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you think of some of our greatest thinkers, our greatest commentators, they did it through humor, you know, whether it's Mark Twain or Richard Pryor or any of those people.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Or Lincoln, actually, who was quite funny.
1: Yes. Well, any message is, easier to give across with, you know,
0: with a spoonful of sugar. Mm. Mm. We talked about your earlier unsuccessful employment history. Mm-hmm. You said you were um, one of those sign holders?
1: Yeah, for Liberty Tax Services.
0: Were you dressed up like the Statue of Liberty?
1: I was. Well, at first they gave you the option of being Uncle Sam or Lady Liberty. <laughs> and then they, they took that option away.
0: Oh man, you know, I've always wanted to just walk up to one of those people holding those signs, and they, you know, I guess they're forced to bounce around a lot, right? Yeah. A lot of them are wearing, um, you know, they have iPods or something to give them a little bit of a beat. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it looks so lonely. It looks so sad. <laughs> um, and what's I was it? was l-
1: actually quite popular. Really? I, I was, people would get out of their cars and take pictures with me because I kind of. <laughs> it was when I was first. Really getting into stand up, and I felt that uh, it really helped me get break through some stage fright and embarrassment. So I was like, Well, if I could do this in front of people, and like my, my ex wife's mother would, would drive around and see me, like I, a lot of people I knew would see me and know it was me. But I was like, I'm just gonna get out here, look people in the eyes, and dance my butt off. And if I can do that, then I can pretty much do anything I want on stage. And I think it r- really helped me. Like I know, in particular, I had to do an episode of The New Girl,
0: where... I... Um, oh, see I'd... this?
1: You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's
0: on your website. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> well, I
1: didn't know I was going to have to be shirtless and homeless. I thought it was a different joke, and then, appear- then I quickly got that the joke was, oh, I'm a fat, homeless weirdo.
0: With and, filthy underwear.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, so my self-esteem plummeted. it. <laughs> <laughs> But then I was like, you, you've been through this situation. Get out there in front of these pretty actors and actresses and dance your butt off. And I did, and they used it in the tag. And, I mean, a lot of people uh, know me from that more than, you know, other things.
0: Uh, this scene is is one where um, two people are on a date, and yeah. you're this bedraggled homeless guy uh, wearing, like, jockey, dirty jockey shorts and what looks like an old army jacket or something. And you walk up to their table and uh, gyrate and sing some funky love song.
1: Yeah, George Michael's father figure.
0: George Michael, oh man. Uh, and yeah, it is, It is. I was going to ask you about that scene because, okay, so Ron, people don't know what you look like, but you're you're a roundish guy.
1: Yeah, I'm a roundish, Buddhist, I kind of look like Buddha.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, the happy Buddhas, you put the pennies on, you know. Yes. With an afro. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with an afro. With a particular kind of afro, too.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, like on your website, it, it shows a bunch of birds picking at it <laughs> uh, in a cartoon, because it looks sort of like a bird's nest.
1: Yeah, or I call it like a crown, like Jughead's crown in Archie.
0: And you work on it, I imagine.
1: Um, surprisingly, not that much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to ask you about that scene because I was thinking, do your looks get you typecast, you know, in that kind of uh, wacko role, you know?
1: Yeah, well, of course they do. But it actually, I mean, I'm kind of that weirdo. So it—it um, it, until I learn how to be a better actor, those are the roles I'm going to get. I mean, and that's why I stay in acting class, hopefully, I'll be able to. I, w- I don't want to be a weirdo forever. If I am, so be it. But um, I'd like to. You know, I see myself in the future being more like a Jack Black, Ben Stiller type of role, where you're like, oh, this guy doesn't look like a traditional lead, but he has the heart and he has the uh, likability to carry it. Those are my goals. I don't know if I'll ever reach that, but those are definitely what I would like to do.
0: Oh, so long term, you you really would like to take on you know more like leading acting roles.
1: I'd love to. I'd love to continue to challenge myself. If that's just not in the cards, it's not in the cards. But I won't, you know, I won't push it against it, what I'm supposed to do. But, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to try to challenge myself, and I think I can do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you've, you've really changed my whole mind around about sign holders. You know, I used to feel <laughs> sorry for them. Uh, <laughs> but you, you sound, make it sound like a positive experience. So I, just getting back to that for just one second, your costume didn't completely disguise you then?
1: No. I mean, I had a green, big green dress on and, and I had a little crown, but, you know, with my hair, you can pretty much tell
0: it's me. Uh-huh, wow. So you people would recognize you uh, and you weren't embarrassed, like, oh, no, some old friend of mine, you know, is well, going to see so me. Well, at first,
1: definitely I was. <laughs> but you had to get through it. And then the fact that other people who didn't know me would just come up and take pictures with me and they were happy to see me. And, I mean, it, it was also, it was weird because, There were also, like, a homeless couple across the street from me with their sign. And it also gave me, like, a completely different perspective on that. I was like, we have the same job right now. Like, I'm just out here holding the sign for money. and You're out there holding the sign for money. And we became friends. And then a year later, I ran into them, and they weren't homeless anymore. And it made me so happy. It was one of my best moments.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. And where was this, by the way?
1: It was in Salem, Oregon. The capital. Capital City.
0: That's where you grew up.
1: Yeah, it's where I, I mean, I, I was raised in Chicago until early teenage years, and then I lived in yeah, Salem for a long
0: time. Um, yeah, and you, you talk about that briefly in um, some of your stand up uh, that I've seen online. Mm-hmm. Born and then lived in um, the south side of Chicago until you were 13, then moved to Salem, Oregon. Correct. So tell me about that contrast.
1: Yeah, it was it was probably uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me because it just shocked me out of uh, what I, preconceived notions I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it just told me because the things that were cool in Chicago were not cool in Oregon, and things that were cool in Oregon were definitely not cool where I grew up in Chicago. Uh, being nerdy and being like a cheerleader was really cool in Oregon, and those are the type of things people would have made fun of you relentlessly. So it really taught me that those things were all just relative, and that I could just do what I wanted and like whatever I wanted, because no, you know, it didn't matter. Other places, something else was going to be cool. You know, like it doesn't matter at, at all. You don't have to change what you want to do for someone else do what you enjoy, and I think that's the what I learned the most from moving there. And that all people were people, you know, there definitely was, went from a all, mostly black community in Chicago to a mostly white community in Salem and, you know, learned that there were just jerks and nice people of, of every race. And I think that's something that you don't, maybe people don't learn at a young age. And, you know, I was happy that I learned that when I was 12 or 13 instead of in my 30s.
0: Did you have um, preconceptions about white people? When yeah, you were...
1: of course. <laughs> what were they?
0: What were they? Come on.
1: That they were just always rich and happy, <laughs> which are good preconceived notions. But then I found out that that's not the case. Everyone struggles. Everyone has troubles. Some people are jerks, and a lot of people are, are ignorant, and it doesn't, it's not race-related.
0: What was your idea, though, that whites were rich and happy and racists, or just rich and happy?
1: Just rich and happy, I mean, the, because I grew up in, this, in my school. I went to a Catholic school, in which was all black, but every position of power, like the principal, the main nuns, they were all white. So the only white people that I ever came in contact with at that time were always in positions of power.
0: Were, were you raised Catholic? So you were in the Catholic school just because for instance, you know, it offered a better education or something?
1: Well, that was a big part of it, yes, but we were all, it was also my mother wanted us raised in a church.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So coming to Salem, and I don't even know the demographics of Salem. Is it mostly white?
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. Mostly white, then there's a, a good Hispanic population and then not then like me.
0: And then a couple other black guys. Wow. And so you're at that delicate age, too, 13. That's an age when social acceptance and stuff is like, you know, a huge concern, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're the you're a black kid in a mostly white school. You're from Chicago. Now you're in Oregon. So tell me about that, you know, adjustment. It
1: was difficult. I, mean, I definitely didn't make that many friends at first. I didn't even think I had that many. I was voted some uh, funniest kid, I guess, class clown in my high school. And I, until that day, I didn't think people liked me.
0: Like, really? I
1: thought that no one was into what I was doing. And then they were like, oh, you know, you're really funny. It was just, uh, you know, just a different atmosphere, a, a different cheeriness. I really liked the laid-back vibe of it. And Chicago was very... Uh, He had to be on guard a lot, and there was a lot of things locked down, and the weather's very cold. It's a very rough city, and Oregon was much more laid back. And I think, I mean, if you watch my comedy, that I really took took to that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, it it sort of got into your style, it seems to me. In fact, um, for the radio audience that may not have seen you, I thought I'd just play a clip here um, so people get a a sense of your, your delivery. Uh, And this one includes uh, They'll just have to be patient Because this one includes a long pause Um, But let's just play this This is from um, a stand-up special On Comedy Central One of John Oliver's stand-up specials, I guess
1: John Oliver's New York stand-up special
0: All right So let's hear my guest, Ron Funches Today on the 7th Avenue Project Uh, Just a little clip from An appearance he did on John Oliver's New York stand-up special
2: I enjoy marijuana a little bit (laughs) I don't know if you could tell by that giggle, but it has so many uses. When I have some, I write pretty awesome jokes. When I run out, I write pretty awesome poetry. I'd like to share one.
0: So, Ron, what uh, people aren't seeing on the radio is you, you know, talking about writing poetry and then taking your time to reach into your pocket and pull out a scrap of paper, unfold it, take a drink of water, and then deliver that beautiful, epic poem. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And the reason I wanted to play that clip is your style as it's evolved has, you know, a lot of timing effects that involve pauses. Uh, building interest in what's coming and then, you know, slapping people upside the head with something. Um, I, I've seen some earlier clips of you, and your delivery was more rushed. Yes. So you've it's taken time, but you have sort of got that down.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the rush comes with being unexperienced, you know.
0: And nervous. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, when I
0: envision myself, I've never done comedy, but because I love comedy, I think about it, what would it be like... And I have the feeling I'd go out and just fail miserably because I would rush everything.
1: You're just nailing it on the head. I, the more experience I get, the more I'm comfortable with pauses, with playing with pauses, and it's just being comfortable with silence and not needing someone to laugh every ten seconds. You know, just being happy with, let me build this story. And a lot of my comedy involves, like, false punchlines. Yeah, Uh, It's all about me building up a rhythm until we get to the real punchline. Hopefully you've laughed at every fake punchline, and then the real one throws you for a loop. That's uh, pretty much, I think you have a good grasp of what I'm trying to do.
0: (laughs) You're reminding me of another clip. Uh, I usually don't uh, play back-to-back clips like this, but I'm going to. This one gets back to your, your job hunting experiences. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, that one is full.
2: And if you get past that, there's a drug test that's never fair. One time, they tried to give me a mouth swab drug test, which is where they take a piece of cotton, run the inside of your cheek to get your DNA, and that's how they find out what you like to do. (laughs) That's against everything I believe in. Because there's no way... I'm going to let you take something that you made my people pick 200 years ago. (laughs) And then turn around to use it to deny me a job. (laughs) If I knew that's how you treated your employees... I would have never have taken the time to duct tape this Cheetos bag full of urine to my leg. (laughs) That was a waste of mine and my son's day. Thank you guys so much.
0: That was the uh, comedian Ron Funches, who is my guest today on the Seventh Avenue Project, I'm Robert Polly, And uh, Ron talking about his job hunting experiences. First of all, before we get to the uh, the comic effects there, Ron, is that a true story? Did you actually get a cotton swab taken?
1: And that's actually a story that um, happened to my ex-wife. She went in for a job interview that was cotton swab related. I don't go into that many jobs <laughs> Definitely
0: not enough to make it to the drug testing portion. <laughs> you uh, had a line. Uh, you could you could deliver it for us, uh, describing the fact that you don't look like standard employee material. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know the lie.
0: Well, it's something like this. You know, you're know, you the kind of guy who you're, you're passing a homeless person. And they say, hey, buddy, do you have?
1: Oh, yeah, I don't even do that joke anymore.
0: <laughs> I like it. So they say, hey, buddy, do you have? And then you turn around and they say, never mind.
1: Yeah, never mind. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're one of us. You're just a homeless guy, too. That story came from um, I was walking down the street after a show really feeling good about myself. And then I walked by, like, this homeless shelter area, area and uh, people working there tried to give me blankets. Like, they you kept know? me, <laughs> <laughs> like, are you okay? Do you need some extra blankets? <laughs> it's completely changed my day. <laughs>
0: well, this is because of your, you know, your, your unique style, right? Your unkempt look, but also, I'm guessing it's partly because you're black, maybe.
1: Probably, I mean, that probably was a good portion of it. Yeah. But I didn't help with my hair and my general demeanor.
0: But that kind of racial assumption, is that, like, insulting or...?
1: Um, Is it? I don't know. I don't even really... I I guess the only time I've ever talked about it was... I don't know if you know Eric Andre. No, I don't. Uh, He's a a fun comedian. He has his own show on uh, Adult Swim, and he has a similar hairstyle to me, and we've had these conversations on stage... We talked about, like, if we're not performing, people treat us very differently. Like, like checking in the hotels, or checking out hotels, people are... I like, get to go a lot of times to some very nice hotels, and people are like, why are you...
0: Oh, here? yeah, sir, can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, like, uh, you're not supposed to be here.
1: <laughs> yeah, that happens, and then, you know, you just, I just... More than anything, it just teaches me about those people,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: A lot of people treat me, or at least starting to treat me, a little nicer all the time, so I don't really know how they really act. So sometimes I like, you know, if you don't know who I am, how do you treat me, or how do you treat waiters? I like to watch those. I watch people, how they treat other people.
0: Um, talking again about your delivery and your style, who do you study? Whose moves do you, have you emulated, you know, in refining your approach to comedy?
1: Uh, well, um. For Like when I started, I tried to avoid watching a lot of comedy and, and just focus on being the best me, uh, but there's definitely influences I have. I've mentioned one already, which Mitch Hedberg, I think you can see. Yeah. It influencing me for sure, um, but also, like, my favorite working comedian now, who has a lot of influence on me, is Tig Notaro. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, just uh, because... I, when I was first starting and I was hosting shows, I didn't know how to get started without being this, like, who's drinking? Well, you guys, who's got a birthday? She's <laughs> very false to, from my actual personality. And I watched her just go out there, and I, I remember seeing her on a show in Seattle, and the crowd was just so rowdy, and she just got them to be completely silent without ever raising her voice. And I was like, I, I mean, that's how I am. Like, if, if I'm in a group setting, like, I don't talk over people. I'll either wait till you listen to me speak or you just won't hear me talk. And, and so she really taught me a lot about being powerful without yelling.
0: Wow, oh, that's interesting. Um, I know a lot of people these days are probably looking at someone like Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tig Notaro is probably a uh, more offbeat choice of a model Uh, For a male comedian, maybe, too.
1: (laughs) Well, I've always been... I mean, I like... A, I love ladies, so I've always preferred to hang out with ladies. I was raised around nothing but ladies. It's my mom and my sister and my aunt. And, uh, I mean, my favorite show was I Love Lucy. I've always...
0: That's really interesting. I was going to ask you about that, because you're only, what, 30? Yeah. So I Love Lucy is from, like, multiple generations ago. Yeah. And it's certainly not the what was considered hot when you were like growing up in the 90s uh so that's a really interesting thing to gravitate toward
1: yeah well it, i think it's just a great show <laughs> I, my mom would always make fun of me watching it when i was a kid she'd be like this she thought it was too old for her to watch yeah and um, i just liked it i thought it was a, a nice honesty to it and a nice uh rebellious nature to it, the fact that it was, I mean, I'm thinking of the 50s of this woman running this show, and she has an interracial marriage with this Cuban guy during the McCarthy era, and they're just like, no, we're going to do this show, it's going to be funny, I'm the star, I I think it's very progressive, and it showed a lot, they fight a lot, and they argue a lot, and I think it was more honest about marriages than a lot of shows are now. So, I just think it's a... And then she helped Greenlight Star Trek, so she's super awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think people don't realize how probably groundbreaking it was to have um, a show that was really about and, to some extent, run by a woman in that era. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Uh, Women comedians were just few and far between in those days.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about the struggles they have now, but... A lot of I mean a lot of those groundbreaking shows and another one of my favorite shows is Roseanne. So like I have always just really enjoyed strong women characters and I think I just like strong women in general. My mom's a strong woman and uh, you know, I think that's probably why why Tig I, I like her so much.
0: Now she got a lot of attention uh over the past year or so because of a, a one woman show she did uh about some really grim subjects: uh, having cancer, mastectomy, um, losing, her mom. losing her mom, all in the same period of time, uh, getting the cancer diagnosis, and she did this uh, pretty raw show that got a ton of attention. Were you? Did you see it?
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I downloaded it and listened to it, the MP3 of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, it's not something I want to listen to multiple times, but it was definitely an experience of hearing someone be so honest and, and raw about their life. I mean, again, like what I said, I like people who who are willing. And that's not even necessarily an embarrassing story, you know. No.
0: It's just being,
1: being real talking about what's really in your life at that time.
0: Well, didn't she do it at a time when she was still really uncertain about her prognosis, too?
1: Yeah, I think it was maybe the weekend after or the week after that she found out, or maybe even the night after.
0: Right, so she was living under this potential, you know, I mean, it could have been terminal. Yeah, wow. Um, What other women comedians, uh, you mentioned uh, Jenny Slate, right? Yeah. Who um, our audience might know if they've seen The Crawl Show or if they've seen Parks and Rec.
1: She's wonderful on that show. Hello, ladies.
0: Uh, (laughs) That one, too, yes. (laughs) And she was on Drunk History.
1: Yeah, she is everywhere. She's amazing. She's the most intimidating person I've ever worked with. Seriously. Seriously so talented. she's in character from the, you know, way before they're calling action and she's just improvising these great scenes and I had I had this scene where I'm basically her uh the antagonist and uh just working with her was was very intimidating. But uh, hopefully people
0: like it we will see. Um well I'm looking forward to that and um uh if people want to see Jenny Slate at her best, I think uh one uh, ongoing sketch uh, that they could check out is her and Nick Kroll as two women publicity agents. Yeah, publicity. Pub- publicity. They're both named Liz. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah.
1: I love it. I, was glad. I like it. it uh, you know, working there, it was funny because people, we love that sketch so much, and we would get some feedback that it was uh, too feminine. <laughs> they didn't like it, and that. Like, real bro guys hated it. And I did this show in in Alabama, and got picked up by this trucker, and I told him I worked for The Kroll Show. And he goes, like, oh, I like that show. He goes, you know what I love? Publicity. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you guys don't know what you're talking about, Comedy Central.
0: (laughs) You know, it's amazing how much um, the people who call the shots don't know what the audience, what the public really wants.
1: Yeah. Well, they know what they used to want you know and actually that's the worst way to go about it i believe Yeah. like don't give people what they want cuz they've already had it give people what they don't know what they they don't know they want
0: yeah that's a that's that's a good point you know and 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 american comedy as we were talking about earlier you know it's sort of built into the fabric of this country it has pushed perceptions uh, rather than trailed perceptions yes. so comedy helped us you know struggle with race Yeah. I mean, Dick Gregory, I mean, everybody talks about Richard Pryor, but Dick Gregory, my God, that guy was doing amazing stuff in the 1960s. Yeah,
1: absolutely. With race, with with just... Gender. Gender, just equality in general. I think most of the... Gay rights. You can't control everybody. I think a lot of comedians are some of the most progressive people that you'll meet and are just down for anything. So I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, those are your modern philosophers... Make it you know more heavy, but
0: I think you're right, though. I honestly do. I really do. I do think a lot of uh, stuff is getting. So very sophisticated stuff gets worked out in comedy, uh, in ways that people can't otherwise articulate. If you try to articulate it in like a really straight up analytic way, it just sounds deadly. You know, boring, boring, heavy handed, politically correct. Yeah, preachy. Yeah. Yeah. If
1: you can wrap that into a joke, then, you know, you can get your point across and people people get it and they laugh. And so it's, it's way better.
0: Well, one thing I would think would be awesome about, uh, you know, making this leap that you've made into the heart of the comedy world, the show business world in Los Angeles, getting to work with the people, some of the people we just mentioned, is that you just get to hang out with them. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, to me, like... It seems like it'd be cool to be a comedian, but it'd be even cooler to hang out with comedians. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and in reality, that was my payment for the first seven years of this. Is that right? Pretty much, uh, was the experiences. Getting to go to a lot of places I never knew I wanted to go, or in some cases, did not want to go. And just meeting people and getting to know these people and seeing, you know, it's like I don't know if you know Rory Scoville at all. about anything and just seeing the way he prepares and his ideas on comedy and and, and just experimenting with your life and is you just you get to get into some people's minds that are very different from each other and it's just an interesting thing i just i like it and a lot of them are just so very kind like a lot of people that you some people you wouldn't even think of like uh, there's a comedian I really like named Anthony
0: Jezelnick who's known for being. Oh, yeah, he's harsh. M- totally mean on TV. He's well, the
1: sweetest guy you could ever. Is that
0: call. right? Yeah, because yeah. his show, uh, The Jeselnik, what is it, The Jezelnick? Offensive? Yeah. offensive. He tries to be as offensive as possible. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting thing, too, is you're not the kind of guy, uh, you know, from what I've seen, who does, you know, that pointed personal uh, celebrity comedy where you're making fun of people. Uh, whoever, you know, has had their latest drug relapse or, yes. you know, things like that. But he does. Yes. Uh, and what do you think of that kind of humor?
1: Uh, well, I think I'm in most, I mean, it's not for me. I'm not interested in doing that. It's, and it's mostly because I like talking about things that I like. And I don't see the point in ever really tearing someone down for those type of issues because, you know, that could happen to anybody. I mean, it's just something that doesn't interest me. But I'm always a big proponent of doing what you like. And if, if that's what you're about and you're good at it, that's what you should do. And he's very good at it. I laugh at him so much. And those are things that I would never write or want to write. <laughs> but I, it's him being him and I like it. Uh, and so me, I just like, I think it's easier or more, I guess, again i 'm sometimes i 'm too high polluting about this, but I think it 's a more noble pursuit to try to create things than to destroy other people. Uh, some people need to be destroyed though, and he goes after good targets, but I prefer to just talk about fun things or mine good things out of bad situations and make my jokes out of that This is what
0: i 'm about um, I want to play another clip of you uh. This is, again, from the rather sparse selection of video that you have online. And as you told me earlier, uh, you've actually held back on posting stuff online because you're working on a, a one-hour, one-guy special, uh, so you want to save up your material.
1: Yeah, I just want to present it as you know, being able to see bits and pieces of everything. A lot of my material is interconnected and needs to have a certain flow, so I'd rather it be seen as a whole. Right. But I'm aware, you know, you got to have some clips up and out there, and I try to go out and do more sets on TV, but for the most part, I would prefer it if I could continue working on it and then show you this whole 45 minutes to an hour.
0: And by the way, is that going to be on Comedy Central?
1: It might be. I'm not sure. I'm talking to a couple of companies, one of them being Funny or Die, a couple other places, and we're just discussing it, because I want to do some weird things. So All right. We'll see.
0: Or you could go the Louis C.K. route, um... <laughs> you know, with his one-man special oh, that he I released.
1: I think I have that fan base. Yeah,
0: you have to have a massive fan base. We should say he <laughs> if did I it. I want
1: to sell a few copies to my aunts and uncles.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, the two instances I've seen of that are Tig Notaro with her, with the show we talked about earlier, and uh, Louis C.K. with a one-man show that he released on his own. Yeah. Absolutely no, um, no network, no sponsor, uh, yeah. and um, he pulled it off. But, yeah, maybe down the line. But I did want to play another clip, and this one's about parenthood.
2: So, my son is 10, which is wonderful. He has autism, which can be difficult. He's also a huge. (laughs) (laughs) Some people don't like it when I call my 10 year old disabled child an. To which I always respond, if you only use 30 words, in your three favorite, are more pancakes, biatch. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty cool. didn't know how to describe raising a child with autism until I went to a festival recently and it became clear to me, taking care of this child is like taking care of your very best friend after they've done way too many shrooms (laughs) while you yourself are on a moderate amount of shrooms I'm not confident about all the decisions I'm making. (laughs) But I know you should not be eating a mouse pad right now.
0: That was Ron Funches talking about his son, Mm -hmm. Malcolm. Uh, Ron is a stand-up comedian and an actor. He is my guest today on the 7th Avenue Project. Ron. Hello. uh, Talking about your son... Calling him an asshole.
1: Sometimes he is.
0: Um, was that something though you you debated with yourself?
1: Uh, it was not really calling him an asshole, but mentioning like that he had autism and talking about that was something that I debated for a while, uh, just because of some people's reactions originally, uh, like. Just things I could handle. Like, there was always a couple of people who were like, oh, I love those jokes you have about your retarded kid. I was like, is that what you're getting out of this?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's well,
1: not what I'm trying to get across.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I, I think people who understand humor can hear the love in that uh, that gag. I can. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, again, we talked about Louis C.K., but I think he he crossed that gap a few years ago when he started talking about his daughter or his daughter's um, you know, in ways that were totally unflattering, but everybody who's a parent got it. You know, he loves yeah. him. He loves him. Uh, he's just, you know... <laughs> but for a long time, I think that would have been out of bounds. You know, you just wouldn't do that.
1: Yeah, well, I just think, you know, it was more just, you know, like, oh, I love my kids, and this is what I do for my kids. And But I think it's the same thing, of again, with race, or it doesn't matter what age. People are people. Some people are jerks from the, when they were born. And... You, get to, you have to talk about that. My son's cool and funny and aggressive, and I want to talk about it because that's the main part of my life.
0: Um, is your son back in Portland? He is. So you're in L.A. Do you get to see him much?
1: I get to see him a fair amount. I'd like to see him a little more. Um, I'm going to see him a lot more. I'm going to see him on the holidays, of course, and uh, he'll be with me for summer breaks. But, um, yeah, it's probably
0: roughest part of my life. I would like to
1: see him every day. Mm. Uh, do you miss Portland? Uh, I miss him. I, like, I, I miss my friends. Uh, but, I mean, I'm very happy
0: where I am. Ah. Of, you know, I had
1: a fun time
0: in Portland. So who, who did you look forward to, to meeting in L.A. who you actually have gotten to meet?
1: Um, I've never really been like that.
0: I mean, some comedy idol or somebody? Well, I you know?
1: have a couple of stories. I mean, I think my favorite one was I was doing this birthday party for this director named Lance Banks. He directs a lot of, of fun things, works with Odd Future a lot. Um, just a good guy, well-known in the comedy community. And I was on the show, it was like one of the first months that I moved here. And I go up and I do a set, and I have a pretty good set. And I go out, and I guy walks towards me, and he's like, you did a really great job. He's like, I really liked your comedy, and I can't see him. I'm like, oh, thank you. I, but he gets closer, and I look up, and it's Jack Black.
0: Whoa. And, as I mentioned
1: before. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I want to be like that. And so he came up, and he just mentioned how much he liked my comedy, and enjoyed what my material, and, and thought I was really smart, and told me to keep, keep working hard, and keep going at it. And um, I think, you know, that was just Thing that was like oh i think I can, I can do some things because that was the perfect guy i needed to come up and tell me
0: that um were you a, a tenacious d fan big tenacious d fan. yeah yeah <laughs> um ron i see you, you know i looked at your website and the only gig i saw on it it may have changed since i last looked but was uh something upcoming at largo with uh, with uh, brian possein yeah well
1: i've been working on this show we're in the middle of taping it, so all my gigs are just kind of me at the comedy store or the improv randomly. Um, so I, I haven't really posted a lot of out-of-town shows or anything special. But I'm doing, yeah, Brian Posehn's birthday party. Uh, His
0: tomorrow. actual birthday party?
1: Yeah, tomorrow.
0: Wow. So that'll be perfect. You two big nerds together.
1: Yeah, it's fun. I liked him a lot. His wife's my manager, uh, It's just uh, he's actually one of the people who I really looked up to again with the type of comedy that he does, which is, you know, personal that are just still really funny and nerdy and himself um, I'm, you know I've always been a big fan of his and for him to be a fan of mine is another one of those dreams come true
0: someone else I bet you like is Patton Oswald I do do you know him
1: yeah I do know him sometimes I ask him for advice when I'm freaking out really <laughs> yeah <laughs> what
0: kind of advice
1: well uh, when I first got here I just didn't I had to do a lot of the same sets showcases. Is what they call it, and I was worried about never being able to write new material and work things out not in front of a bunch of agents and casting directors, and that I was spending all this time auditioning and stuff. And he was just like, he's like, you're you're funny. This is just who you are. This is just what you do. You're just spending your energy in different areas that you're not used to. He was like, you'll you'll get that under control, and you'll you'll come back and be creative and write new jokes, and you'll be fine. Uh, and, uh, I mean, this just was the words I needed to hear, especially coming from a guy who I knew had gone through
0: similar things,
1: you know. So I always, if anyone's career is one that I like to emulate, is one like his, uh, just constantly working on your stand-up and doing cool uh, show projects. I mean, one of the reasons I really wanted to be on the sitcom was because of watching his work of King of Queens, which, you know, teaching him to be a better actor so that he could go and do, you know, great movies like Ratatouille or, you know, Big fans. and uh, so, I, you know, I, I'm a student of comedy, so I like to see what other people have done so I can follow that map.
0: And now you're, you're part of the kind of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood. It must feel really great.
1: It does feel great because a lot of times I never thought I would get here or, or hang out with these people that I would listen to their podcasts or read their blogs online and really feel that <laughs> close to it that I belong there and... and uh, it worked out I think that was the best thing about podcasts are just being able to you know connect with these people and have sometimes listen to people who think like you because sometimes when you're in different cities and you're not in the, that artistic community you think that you're alone and that you're the only one trying to trying to do that but you know there's a lot of people like you out there
0: yeah well it's been really great talking to you Ron I really appreciate the time
1: I loved it too it was fun
0: Ron Funches is a cast member of the upcoming NBC sitcom, Undateable, and he writes for The Kroll Show, the Comedy Central sketch show starring Nick Kroll. It's starting its second season in January. This has been the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. We are online at 7thAvenueProject.com.